Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, and this is what the text says. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Pray with me if you would. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and God. Um, I pray now for your anointing. I pray now for uh, a word that matters. I pray now for an implanted word. pray, God, that you would give your people eyes to see what you want to show them, ears to hear what you want to say to them. Remind us today that we are your beloved. We're your bride. And um, when we show up in this place, it matters. And you have something to say to us that matters. And so speak in our midst. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, I think it was about 7 o'clock, uh, I was up and I was in our toy room and I was looking over my notes for um, that morning's sermon and uh, Deacon and Riggs, they were already up too and they were in the living room uh, watching TV. And out of nowhere, Langston cried out for his, his mom. And uh, it was... Like a pretty urgent call. I mean, he sounded like he was scared. He, he sounded like he was frightened. Now, the way the boys' rooms set up is Langston, Riggs, and Deacon, they all sleep in the same room. And so um, on one side of that room, there's a set of bunk beds, and Lang sleeps in the top bunk, and Deacon sleeps in the bunk underneath him. And then on the other wall, there's a twin bed, and uh, Riggs sleeps in there alone because apparently he is the favorite. But uh, Langston cried out for his, his mom, and it uh, sounded like he was frightened, and so Bethany starts the process of trying to uh, get, she's asleep, and she starts the process of trying to get out of bed and make her way down the hallway to the boy's room, and as she, you know, first climbs out of bed, she hears this um, really loud thump, just boom, right against the wall. And so that kind of quickens her pace up a little bit, right? And so she starts walking a little bit faster down the hallway before she can get all the way in to the boys' room. There are two more. The first one, boom, against the wall. And then the last one's loud, just boom. I'm talking about house-shaking kind of boom, right? And so uh, Bethany walks in the room, and, and Langston is sitting up there in his bed in just his undies because that's what he sleeps in. And if Cody can say gyrating from, the, you know, from up here, I can say that, right? So uh, Langston's up there, and he's just sitting in his underwear, and he, uh, he looks like he's kind of a mixture between scared and mad. And so uh, Bethany walks in there, and she goes, you know, what's, what's wrong, son? Like, what, what, what's wrong with you? And Langston says, he goes, um, there's someone in Riggs' bed, and he's coming after me. He goes, there's somebody in Riggs' bed, and he's coming after me. And so Bethany walks over to where the blankets are, and sure enough, the blankets are like, they're stacked up in such a way that it kind of looks like the form of a body, and even the top of them, the bend, kind of looks like it. It could be eyes, but she does what any parent would begin to do. She starts peeling them back, you know, to show Langston, hey, there's nothing there. It's just blankets. But as she um, peels all those blankets away, she looks down and strung out on uh, Riggs's bed are uh, three baseballs. So what you need to know <laughs> is that 
in uh, the last couple of years, uh, Langston Riggs have played baseball for the Fountain City Chiefs, okay? And uh, neither one of them are very good. Uh, but they're not, they're, not, they're not all that bad. And um, over the course of the last couple of seasons, Langston has, he's played well enough to um, receive from his coach uh, three different game balls, okay? And um, these game balls, um, they uh, hang in this like wooden, you know, collector's thing right next to his, his top bunk. Like that's where they are on display. At least that's typically where they are, okay? What happened on this Sunday morning is when Langston thought that there was somebody in Riggs's bed that wasn't Riggs, he took those balls out of that case and sitting there in his top bunk in his underwear, he threw fastballs at this blanket-covered intruder, you know, until, until he ran all the way out of ammunition. Now, when Bethany came in the toy room to tell me what had happened, I'm going to be really honest with y'all right now and tell you, you know, when she first told me, laugh for a, a, a little while. Um, and then I was uh, both a mixture of relieved and a little bit disappointed, okay? Um, I was relieved that there wasn't an intruder in our house. I was relieved that there wasn't an intruder in the boys' room. But I was disappointed that Lang had three shots at him and that every pitch he threw sailed high, you know? Because obviously, if the, the thump was a sign that the ball had hit the wall before it hit the blankets, which let me know we're going to need to work on getting control of his fastball this offseason, because everybody knows, every good pitcher knows, it's really difficult to come back from a 3-0 start pitch count, you know? It's hard to do. Now, I tell you that story today, one, because I think it's pretty funny, okay? And uh, two, because uh, I think it resonates. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, I can remember living with a fear that somebody bad was coming after me. It's kind of an unrealistic fear if you think about it as an adult, but when you're a kid, I remember feeling that way. I can remember laying in my bed, like especially at night, and I plotted a plan in case an intruder came into the house. You know, I was like, I had this plan. I had a room to myself and there was a table over to the side and there was a window above the table. And my idea was somebody comes down the hallway, I'm hopping on the table and going out the window. I was more nimble back then, okay? But that was my plan. That's how I was gonna, is that anybody else? Like when you were coming up, did you fear these kind of things? I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that that's, I think it's pretty common, you know, to be afraid when we're a child that somebody bad is coming after us. I think that's a pretty common uh, fear. Now, as we get older, I don't think that uh, fear leaves us as much as it transforms, or uh, maybe another way to say it would be that it gets, uh, it gets transferred. Like most adults aren't afraid of somebody bad coming after them, um, but now we are afraid of something bad happening to us. You know, We're not afraid of somebody bad coming uh, after us, we're afraid of something bad happening to us or something bad happening to somebody that we love. The fear remains, it's just now we don't fear people, we fear an unknown future. Like our minds are filled with what ifs. You know, what if something bad happens to me? What if something bad happens uh, to uh, one of, uh, of my kids? What, what if I get sick? What if they get into a car accident? What if I lose my job? It's just this constant, like our minds, a lot of people's minds, it's just this constant, just a recording of what if, what if, 
what if? But here's a simple truth that I would like to get across to you this morning, church. And I think that this truth should be uh, a bit more potent in a season of Advent, in a time when we're talking about the incarnation, when we're talking about the coming Christ, when we're talking about all that Jesus did for us. And here it is. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that people either live their lives in fear of what is to come or in celebration of the one who did. People either live their lives in fear of what's to come or in celebration of the one who came. This is what I mean. Let me provide you with my own what if this morning on this second Sunday of Advent. What if instead of spending so much time worrying about what might happen, you spent that same time worshiping because of what did happen. You know, I'm, I'm not a prophet. Uh, I, I can't promise you that nothing bad is going to happen to you or your family in the future. But as a pastor, I can point you to a pretty great event that happened for you in the past. What if you stopped worrying about what might happen and you started praising God for what did happen? And what did happen is 2,000 years ago, Jesus left heaven to come for you. And 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross for your sins. And 2,000 years ago, he rose from the dead to defeat death. I don't know what might happen, but as a pastor, I can tell you what did happen, and it was pretty glorious. It's pretty glorious. This is what I'm looking for churches we move in as 2021 is kind of winding down and we move into the year 2022 i'm looking for more worship less worry more jesus less fear more of him less of me i can tell you definitively that i do not live my life in fear of what is to come because i have a sweet relationship with the one who already came And you can either spend your life worrying about the what-ifs or you can spend your life worshiping because of the what-did. Worship is a great antidote to worry. As the song says, this is how we fight our battles. Not with swords, but with songs. We should be able to look forward in confidence because we look backwards in awe. In Isaiah chapter 11, in that first verse, we read a prophecy about the coming Christ. And this is what the verse says. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, what's going on here? Like, what's the, what is the message that God is trying to get through to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah? First, I want us to acknowledge about this text that it is a powerful image. Like it begins by talking about a tree stump and for there to be a tree stump, it means there once was a tree and somebody or something came and chopped that tree down. This image is an image meant to represent the judgment of God on Israel. When the text speaks about the stump of Jesse, what it's referencing is a promise that God had made to Jesse's son, King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised David that once he became king, that the throne would stay in his lineage for the rest of history. He'd made that promise. And then because 
David's sons, the sin of David's sons and the sin of his grandsons and the sin of his great-grandsons and so on and so forth, God had to cut them off. He cut the tree down all the way to a stump. Now, I want you to notice, though, that even in God's judgment, he didn't go back on his promise because he left behind the roots and he left behind the stump. And we should probably note here that Jesus comes and he is our forever king and he comes from the lineage of King David. God's promises, as they always do, held true. Now, this stump for Israel would have been uh, an image of judgment, an image of despair and desolation, a representation of their sin and the sometimes heavy hand of God. At the time that Isaiah was writing, I imagine this is exactly what the people felt like. I imagine they felt like that lone stump, far from God, dry, distant, and unfruitful. But then the prophet continued his prophecy saying a shoot would one day come forth from the stump of Jesse. He told them someday soon a new plant was going to emerge from that old stump. Right there in the fat middle of death, life was going to be born. And here's the thing, according to the prophecy, eventually that plant was going to grow large and it was going to grow healthy. That plant growing right out of that tree stump was going to grow so large and so healthy that it was going to become one with that tree and that it was going to bear new limbs, new branches, and those new branches would bear new fruit. This is what I think God was trying to say to his people through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, it might seem dark right now, but light is coming. It might seem dead right now, but life is coming. This might seem like the end, but listen to me, people. It is only the beginning. One of the primary things that I think God was trying to teach Israel through this prophecy is I think he was trying to let them know, listen, the, the seed has already been planted. The seed has already been planted. The people who were alive right then, they might not ever see the shoot come out of the tree. They might not ever see that tree once restored again to its full glory. They may never taste of its fruit, but they could live in the hope that better days were ahead. They could live in the hope that they hadn't been forgotten. They could live in the hope that they had been seen. And they could live in the hope that the seed had already been planted. Henry Nouwen says it this way in his book, Finding My Way Home. He says that in Scripture, there's no such thing as passively waiting. Those who are waiting are waiting very actively. They know that what they're waiting for is growing from the ground on which they're standing. Right here is a secret for us about waiting. If we wait in the conviction that a seed has been planted and that something has already begun, it changes the way we wait. Isaiah gave the people here in this text a seed of hope. The people in Isaiah's day would never see the Messiah, but they could live in the hope that he was on his way. And you know, there is power in simply knowing that good is around the corner that God is around the corner, that death never gets the last word, and that new shoots can rise even out 
of old tree stumps. Can I get an amen? Now, what does this mean for us? Well, I'm really glad you asked, okay? While I find this text to be uh, really hopeful and uh, pretty compelling, I also find it to be convicting. And here's why. Because the people in that day were being asked to hope in a planted seed and a coming shoot. And we now live in the reality of the incarnate Christ and an empty tomb. They only had the hope of the seed. We have the reality of the Son. We have what they longed for. They longed for the tree we've tasted of its fruit. They longed for redemption. We're free. They were longing just to see a risen shoot come rising out of the stump. We get to worship the risen sun. Church, where's our hope? Where's our faith? They're being asked to hope in the seed. We've got the sun. If they could have hope in the future based on a seed, shouldn't we be able to have hope in the future based on the sun? Another way to say it might be like this. What they long for is now here. Love, now here. Grace, now here. Peace, now here. Rest, now here. Hope, now here. Light, now here. Life, now here. Jesus, now here. Emmanuel, God with us, in us, living among us, working through us. They had a seed of hope. We have Jesus, our living hope. First Peter says it like this. This is starting in verse 3, man. I love this passage, okay? This is the passage just before what Larry read. And I'm going to read it to you from the message translation, and this is what it says. This is starting in verse 3. This is First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here we go. It says, What a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him, this Father of our Master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. You never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking forward to, total salvation. The prophets who told us this was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it, that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you, you who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit. The message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. And that's the question I think I want to ask. Do you realize how fortunate you are? 
They had the seed, we got the sun. Do you realize how fortunate you are? They had pieces, we get the full puzzle. Do you realize how fortunate you are? They hoped in what's to come. We sing songs about the one that's already came. Do you realize how fortunate you are? People either spend their lives worrying about what might happen or worshiping because of what did happen. They either spend their lives in fear of what's to come or in celebration of the one who came. Worship is a great antidote to worry. This is how we fight our battles, not with swords, but with songs. This is how I want us to close our time today. It's going to be a little bit weird, but welcome to Whitestone, okay? That's kind of how things go. Um, I want us to have a very intentional time of, of worship. And uh, Cody and the band, y'all can come on back up. My phone number is going to be up on the screen. Um, should come up right now. This is the, look at that. That's how that works. This is what I would love for you to do, okay? Um, I would love it if you are in a place right now where you're dealing with some worry, where you're dealing with some fear, dealing with some anxiety. I would love it if you would text in to my phone number the things that are worrying you in this season. So what I'm asking for is text me uh, the things that are keeping you up at night, okay? And uh, send them to me. And I am going to step down, and uh, I will, you do need to know, I'll keep them anonymous, um, but I am going to read through them. And uh, as I step down and read through that list of the things that are worrying me and the things that are worrying you, we're going to worship over it, okay? And my prayer is that the worship that these folks bring and the songs that you sing, that they would drown out those worries and they would drown out those fears and they would drown out that anxiety. Because what happened for us 2,000 years ago is so much greater than anything that might happen to us in the future. So if you would, right now, take your phones out, shoot me a quick text. Know that it's going to be read, but I won't say anything that points it back to you. And let's worship. May the sound of our worship drown out our fear, church. Let's worship together.